Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome to my sermon podcast. This was the sermon from May 28, 2017. It was Memorial Day weekend. I began the sermon talking about a couple of items that were in the news that week, including a terrorist attack in England and a terrorist attack in Egypt that targeted Christians. I ask us to imagine if we Christians in America would be willing to put our lives on the line um, because we follow Jesus. And of course, that's what Jesus asks us to do. But I didn't want the moral of this sermon to be try harder, work harder, be a better Christian, be more like those Egyptian martyrs. For one thing, those kind of sermons don't work and they just make us feel guilty. No, instead I wanted us to learn to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to the challenges that we face in our lives, to the sins with which we struggle in our lives. Our problem is not that we don't try hard enough as Christians. Our problem is that we don't believe the gospel wholeheartedly enough. That's what this sermon is about. I hope you enjoy it. Our scripture is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You might have noticed that I I had Suzanne read the first three verses, as well as the last six or seven, because I'm going to circle back to some scripture that we briefly touched on last week, but I have, I have more to say about it. And I figure one of the luxuries of doing a sermon series like we are in First Peter is that we don't, there's, I, we don't have to rush through it. We want to look at it in depth. And so... Um, and if my sermon's a little shorter than usual, no one's going to complain. But my sermon's not shorter than usual, so bear with me. Um, but just think how, think how long it would be if I was going to cover you know, everything all in one sermon. There was a lot of heartbreaking news this past week. Um, some celebrity deaths, music, musician deaths. But, of course, um, earlier in the... Earlier, early last week, there was a terrorist bombing in Manchester, England. 
And it was an attack seemingly designed to kill children and teenagers and their parents. 22 people died. Many were injured. President Trump, in response, referred to the terrorists as evil losers. And I can't think of more appropriate words to describe them. Evil losers. When we hear about this sort of thing, it is perfectly good. Indeed, it is Christian to remember Paul's words in Romans chapter 12. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. We can thank God for that. We can also thank God, especially on this Memorial Day weekend, that God has called men and women in uniform to be what Paul describes in Romans 13, God's servants. Avengers, he says. Avengers, we're not just talking about the Marvel movies that are filmed in Fayetteville. We are talking about uh, what the Bible describes um, soldiers as being. Who carry out God's wrath on wrongdoers. And on, on this weekend especially, we thank God for those who gave the last full measure of their devotion. By all means, We Christians are called to live our lives as peaceful and peace-loving and peacemaking in as much as it depends on us. But we do so with, with certain knowledge that in the end, God will ensure that no sin, no evil, ultimately will go unpunished. There will be a day when justice will be fully, finally, perfectly done. And for those of us who have trusted in God's Son, Jesus, we can be thankful, especially that on the cross, God in Christ has taken the punishment that we deserve for our sin and our evil. And on Friday, there was another heartbreaking story. This one was from Egypt, and there were a busload of Christians who were on their way to worship when they were stopped on this dusty desert road by men in masks who had powerful automatic weapons and they sprayed the bus with bullets, killing 28 men, women, and children, injuring far more. Killed them for no crime other than this, They believed in Jesus and they were trying to be faithful to him. So here's what I want to know. Is Jesus so precious to us that we would be willing to get on board that bus out of faithfulness to him, even if it meant our life? Is Jesus so precious to us that we would be willing to pay that price? Is Jesus worth everything to us? Because make no mistake, Jesus asks for it all. He asks for everything that we have. God forbid that what happened to those Christians in Egypt would ever happen to us. But when we become followers of Jesus, 
We accept this as a possibility, however remote. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. I've been helping to teach a confirmation class on Sunday nights. And I'm trying my best to instill this truth in our confirmands. I'm trying to get across the scope and the seriousness of the commitment that God asks each one of us to make, including these young people, if indeed they choose to follow Jesus as their Savior and Lord for the rest of their life. A part of me wishes that our Methodist Confirmation Liturgy included a question that is part of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Um, This question is asked of their young confirmands. And just imagine if this question was asked of ours. It's just, it sounds un-Methodist, and yet it's a great question. Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? Are we willing to say, I'd rather suffer all, I'd rather die than fall away from my Christian faith? How would we answer that question? I I think I know how those 28 men, women, and children on that bus in Egypt would answer that question. See, we rightly honor our men and women in the armed forces who, out of loyalty and love for our country, sacrifice their lives. But make no mistake, Jesus is worth infinitely more than our country or he ought to be. Yet each one of us can look at our lives and, and easily find other people, other treasures besides Jesus who compete with Jesus for love and loyalty, a love and loyalty that belong to Christ alone. And I promise, as a preacher, I am tempted to preach one of those classic try harder sermons. You've heard them before. I've preached them before. Try harder. Do better. Be like these Egyptian martyrs. Have faith like that. What is wrong with us? And indeed, when we consider how Peter begins chapter 2, we might think that he's going to take a similar tack. Because he begins the chapter by focusing on sins. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We might expect him to say with tough love, put it away or else face God's judgment or all or else all this bad stuff will happen to you and and taking a, a tough love tack might be a good idea sometimes but that's not how Peter 
Um, That's not the tack that Peter takes in today's scripture. Instead, with great compassion, he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There is a note of warning here, please notice. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have. Peter knows that it's possible, heck, it's likely, that some of the people in his churches who will be receiving this letter have not yet tasted that the Lord is good. And they may not even know it. But he says that one important mark, one thing that ought to define our lives as disciples of Jesus is that we long for the pure spiritual milk. I talked briefly about this last week, but that, that can be uh, understood as a longing for Jesus Christ and his gospel and his kingdom and his glory which we receive and experience through the Holy Spirit when we, when we read God's Word. We should long for these things. And if we don't long for these things, Peter tells us, at the very least, it means we have a serious spiritual problem. Maybe we've never yet tasted that the Lord is good. Maybe we've never yet given our lives to Christ as Savior as accepted him as our Savior and, and Lord. But even if we've done that, even if we're saved, even if we're Christians, if we are not longing for pure spiritual milk, we have a spiritual problem that needs to be solved. But mostly, Peter gives us not, not a warning, but an incentive to solve that problem. Because he tells us that once we experience the love of Jesus Christ, His grace, His gospel, His glory, His kingdom, once we taste the pure spiritual milk of His Word, we won't be satisfied with anything else in the world. Nothing else in the world is better than Christ. As the psalmist says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. We are meant to feel Christ's love for us. We are meant to be in love with Christ. The truth of the gospel ought to penetrate our innermost being. It ought to make an impact in our feelings. It's something we ought to feel It's not just something that that lives up in our heads. It's not just something that we intellectually agree with. It's something that we feel. Now, mind and emotion, uh, on their own, neither one is sufficient for living a Christian life. But together, together, they they help us to long for Christ. They help us to desire Christ. And and, and as I discern our own church, and I, I don't think I'm saying anything that, that anyone would disagree with, I, I sense that we're better at the head than we are at the heart. I sense that, that we have trouble as a congregation truly experiencing and tasting that the Lord is good. We are not, as I discern, a deeply emotional kind of people. I think we're a little off balance 
When I was in Kenya, I was with a group of Methodist pastors. They, they felt it. They, they tasted that the Lord was good all the time. I mean, they would, they would, every time they came back from a break to my classroom where I was teaching, they would come back singing and dancing and, and their faces were, were, were just like glowing, it seemed. And when they prayed, uh, one of the pastors would lead them. They would take turns, but one of them would lead uh, like a pastoral prayer, you know, and they would get prayer requests. They would do similar things that we do. And he would lead the prayer. And then he would reach the end. And suddenly you're, you're surrounded by a room of like 60 men and women who are uh, uh, looking up at the ceiling and, 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 and shouting. And, and some are in tears, crying. They're, they're, they're shouting out praises. Or they're lifting up petitions to God. And you can see on their faces, this is a deeply emotional experience. And I, I, I exchanged glances with my fellow American uh, pastor across the room when it first happened. And we were like, what is going on? Let me tell you, by the end of that two-week experience there, I knew I wanted what they had. And, and, and I knew we don't have it. I hope one day, as our United Methodist Church shifts uh, the, it's the center of its population to the global south, I, I keep kind of dreaming that, um, that they'll send missionaries over here and teach us how to be Christians again. Teach us how to worship again. To worship with everything that we have. Be that as it may. Our problem with sin, Peter wants us to know, comes down to desire. We desire the wrong things. Or we desire them out of proportion to what God intends. What we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ to heal our desires, to tame them, to straighten them out, to bring them under the lordship of Christ. What we need is to replace inappropriate longings with a longing for Jesus Christ. Consider the sins that Peter names in verse 1 of this scripture. These seem like small sins when you think about it. I mean, I say small because, good heavens, they're so prevalent in our church and other churches. They're so, and, and it's kind of a relief to know, oh, they're also prevalent in Peter's churches as well. These sins seem small because all of us seem to have a pretty high tolerance for them. But I want us to look underneath the sin Look at the desire that's underneath and what that, what, that's, what that means. Why are we tempted to deceive others? Why are we tempted to be hypocrites, to pretend to be something that we're not? Because if people knew the truth and the whole truth about us, it would make us look bad. We would lose face in front of other people. And, and maybe if people found out the truth about us, then they would reject us. They would stop loving us. But what does 
this pure milk of the gospel tell us about that desire to protect ourselves from other people knowing the truth? The the, the pure spiritual milk of the gospel tells us that we are all sinners. That the church at its best is a hospital for sinners. That we recognize our powerlessness over sin. That's why we need Jesus. And that's what Christ can heal us from, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong process. But we don't have to fear being rejected because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Because of His death, we are accepted by God. Nothing else matters. So, we take that pure spiritual milk of God's Word and that helps us overcome that sin. Or think about why we feel envy or why we slander two other sins that Peter mentions. To slander is, you know, means to gossip or to run someone down, especially when they're not around. Um, that never happens at church, right? <laughs> but why do we do this? Because we resent that someone else has something that we think we need, something that we want. But how does the pure spiritual milk of the gospel heal these desires? By reminding us that God's grace is sufficient for all circumstances. That there's there's nothing that we have that we haven't received. That God uses trials for our own good. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That compared to Christ, we should count everything else as loss. It's garbage, Paul says. So I want to share with you now how this hit home with me personally. I don't share this story um, to elicit sympathy from you. What I want you to hear in it is, hmm, so Brent is struggling in that area. Well, maybe I'm not struggling with that, but I can see how what he's saying applies to my own situation and my own life. Um, I've shared this with a few of you already. Um, A few weeks ago, I had a difficult conversation with a clergy acquaintance. It began on Facebook, and when I realized that it potentially could become an argument, instead of arguing about it online, on social media, which is always a bad idea, by the way, I got his phone number and I called him so we could talk it through. And we talked for a couple of hours. We argued for a couple of hours. My friend was cool, calm, and collected. And I was the one who felt my blood boiling and my pulse uh, rising and my, my, my heartbeat you know, uh, 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 pounding. I felt that fight or flight instinct. I, I hate that about me, but that always seems to happen when I get passionate What he told me in so many words was that he didn't believe so many doctrines, so many core convictions that I assume all of us Methodists, not to mention Methodist clergy, ought to share. He doubted, he said in so many words, so much of what Scripture clearly taught. Worst of all, he seemed perfectly okay with it. At one point, I said, please don't teach these things to your congregation for the sake of their own souls 
Because in my view, nothing less than heaven and hell hangs in the balance. But also for the sake of pastors like me who one day might succeed you at your church and have to clean up this mess. I told him that. I was angry. And I thought, how dare he call himself a minister of the gospel when he rejects so much of what the gospel means? He's redefined all these words, all these concepts. He can say the words, but they mean different things to him, if anything at all. And as I was reflecting on this, as, my, as I was angry, I promised it was as if the Lord got a hold of me and said, not so fast, Brent. What about you? A week before that, I was with a group of friends who were saying goodbye to one of our friends. I'll call him Steve. Steve, in addition to being a successful, high-powered attorney in Atlanta, is also a former Marine. And he's quite proud of it. And he's we looked up to him as like a tough, he's a tough guy, you know, and in addition to being very successful. as a token of his friendship, as he was, he's, he's moving to the West Coast and he wanted to give us a token of his friendship. And he gave me this. This is called a challenge coin. Any of you in the services, retired, know what a challenge coin is? I didn't quite know what it was, but I posted a picture of it on Facebook and a friend of mine who is in Italy in the Army explained that uh, if I have... If I see, or when I see Steve again, if I pull out the challenge coin, and he cannot also pull out his challenge coin, then he buys drinks. <laughs> so I'll, I'll make sure that I'll carry around my challenge coin just in case I ever bump into him. Uh, anyway, um, I, I like it. It says, uh, it says, it's got this smiling skull um, brandishing pistols, It says, death smiles at everyone, Marines smile back. (laughs) And uh, so he wanted us to remember him uh, with this. Uh, Anyway, it was very sweet, but that's not... Now, I'm sure there's a sermon illustration in there, which I'm sure you'll hear me use at one point, at some point, but that's not my point today. Um, As Steve was handing me this challenge coin, he said something to me. Now, he's not one to hand out compliments uh, lightly, but he said something to me. He said, Brent, um, I want you to know that you are consistently the nicest person I've ever known. Now, Steve is not a Christian. He is a a secular Jew. Um, I'm I'm glad, you know, if I have been sanctified to the point where, you know, uh, he can perceive that I'm nice or kind or, you know, whatever. Um, that's good, you know. I'm, 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 I should be happy about that. But I wasn't happy about it. In fact, I didn't even take it as a compliment when he said it. I, it's like I didn't even hear it. I'm thinking of that that game, or that, that, well, I guess it's a game for infants and toddlers where they take the different shaped pieces and they have this globe, and the globe has like triangle shapes and square and rectangle and circles and ovals, and you put the, sh- you put the to- little pieces into the holes, um, which I guess teaches the child, you know, about spatial 
whatever, relationships. Anyway, I thought of that because it's like, it's like this compliment was like a, you know, a square peg trying to go in a round hole. I didn't even process it. Um, and I didn't realize until after my argument with my clergy colleague that I didn't even process this compliment. But as I was reflecting on it, I thought, what is my problem? Here I am getting on my high horse about my clergy colleague who um, doesn't believe so much of the gospel. And yet, you see, in my own way, in my own way, I also don't believe a part of the gospel. Because when he gives me this compliment that I'm the nicest person he's consistently that he's ever known, um, I don't believe him. There's no way that he could have been sincere when he said that. He knows me far too well. I'm a horrible person. Now, I did not consciously think these thoughts when he said that. I didn't have to consciously think these thoughts. Because you see, in the back of my mind, it's as if I have a tape loop that's constantly running. The volume sort of turns up or turns down, depending on what else is going on in my life. And I don't usually notice it, but I think it's always there playing. And it's saying things like, you're not good enough. You're not successful enough. You're a loser. There are many interesting reasons why this tape loop exists. I was adopted, I think, and that plays a role. And also, I think it has to do with the fact that my parents, who are, are wonderful, were wonderful people. They are wonderful people. They're in heaven. They're wonderful and I love them dearly. But they had a blind spot, and I don't mind sharing this with you. I, I felt like they, I always felt like they wanted me to be somebody else. Like I never quite lived up to their expectation of their son being sort of the all-American boy, you know, and that I would be uh, an athlete, a star athlete, that I'd be popular, that I would, um, that girls would like me, that, uh, that I, I would be, you know, something I, I wasn't. I mean, I was, uh, I was very introverted when I was a teenager, and I was really into music. Um, I, was, uh, I was really into computer programming. <laughs> I, mean, I was such a geek in some ways, you know. And, and, um, and then I got really involved in church. I mean, when I became a Christian at 14, I mean, it, it, it was a big deal to me. It was a true conversion experience, and I was very active in church and in youth group. And I was at church. I wanted to go to church frequently. And in fact, my mom one time made an appointment with our youth minister at the church behind my back. I didn't know that she did this until after it was over. But she wanted to talk to Bill, the youth minister, about the fact that I was becoming a fanatic. <laughs> she was worried that I was becoming a fanatic. And... and um, Bill told me uh, later that she had met with him and I was shocked and I was upset and I think I was crying and, and, uh, and Bill said, he put his arm around me and he said, Brent, you keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're, you're okay. You're okay. And, um, and I think about other people in my young life growing up who were 
offering me that kind of acceptance, you know? Um, even when I didn't feel it at home, like uh, think of a guitar teacher that, that, that did that, or, or um, well, my youth minister, or a, I had a football coach one time who just offered me that kind of acceptance. I had an uncle, a, a close family friend, I called him uncle, uh, who was very loving and supportive. And I, I feel self-conscious saying that because we can't, in this day and age, we can't talk about men who have been mentors to boys without your mind going to you know, inappropriate places. Um, that's not at all what any of these relationships were about. They were just very loving and supportive. Um, sort of like, you know, they were father figures to me, and they were providing for me that kind of uh, acceptance that I so desperately craved. Now, the truth is I still crave that kind of acceptance. How can this pure spiritual milk of the gospel help me with that? Well, I realized that tape loop was still playing last week, last couple of weeks. And so what I need is I need that, I need to be healed by the gospel. And I preach this all the time, right? Uh, God loves us so much that he paid an infinite price to save us. He exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. He forgave us through, through faith in Christ. He clothed us with, with his son's righteousness. It's like I have no trouble believing this is true for y'all, <laughs> but I have a hard time believing it's true for me. What's my problem? So I need to hear Peter's words in today's scripture. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Do you get the picture here? Peter is making the analogy that that Christ is the cornerstone of a temple of which we believers are a part The cornerstone is the most important stone used to build a building in antiquity. Um, It had to be cut just right. It had to be solid and and not without any cracks or fissures because it was at the foundation of the building. And that's that's who Christ is, Peter says. But here's the thing. Like those of us. Oh, look at this picture. Um, Those of us who are are, are, um, Christians. Uh, Peter says, we also, like Christ, are living stones. And it's as if we are cemented onto the foundation that is Christ. Not only that, in verse 7 it says, So the honor is for you who believe. This is Peter's way of saying, what is true of the Father's relationship with Christ is now true For you, just as Christ is chosen and precious to his father, so are you. That's what that means. Jesus makes the same point in John chapter 17 on the night that he's arrested. He prays for his disciples, both his present disciples and his future disciples. And he prays that the world will know that the father loves us. In the same way that he loves Jesus. That he'll love us. That he loves us just as much 
as he loves Jesus. That's what Jesus says. It's there. Can you believe it? Can I believe it? That's the acceptance that people like me so desperately crave. That's what I desire so badly. That's the pure spiritual milk that will heal my soul. And that's the gospel. That's what Christ offers us. Last week on um, Jimmy Kimmel Live, did you see this? I, I saw it on YouTube after the fact. YouTube, the band, performed, and they played the song from uh, 30 years ago. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And they had a gospel choir that emerged from the studio audience. It was a beautiful performance. And they really emphasized the fact, which I promise, I'm, I'm, a, dumb, I'm a dummy, I guess, but I, the whole song is a prayer to Jesus. I mean, look at the words. The whole song, all the verses are a prayer to Jesus. I never noticed this before. But that being the case, listen to what, because he's referring to you, 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 you. That never changes. And then by the third verse, he talks about Jesus' resurrection. It's clear he's talking about Jesus. He doesn't change his point of view throughout the song. And with that in mind, listen to the words. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls, only to be with you. (laughs) He's saying, I would do anything for you, Lord. Because your love has melted my heart because of all that you've done for me because you've made possible that I'm accepted by the father and I'm a beloved child of the father and nothing separates us from that love all because of you you are so precious to me I would do anything for you Now, what about us? Next week, I'm going to look at the same scripture, not the list of sins, the the rest of it. And I'm going to focus on our responsibility as the church, our mission as the church. And it's not going to be a we need to try harder kind of sermon. I hope it will be an encouraging and inspirational sermon about what we as a church ought to be doing. We know we can do better. Um, But I don't want you to think for a moment that anything I'm saying is about guilt or it's about the law. You need to do this, this, and this. That's not at all what I'm going to be talking about. Don't get confused about it. There is nothing, there's no challenge that our church faces that won't be solved by each one of us desiring the pure spiritual milk that our Lord Jesus Christ offers. There is no problem that we have as a church that we can't face by 
desiring our Lord more. We are going to taste that the Lord is good. And we as a church are going to go out and we are going to let this community know that our Lord Jesus loves them, that God loves them, that God has a plan for them. And we're going to invite them and they will come. Okay? Almighty God, teach us to desire you Teach us to crave what you have to offer us. Forgive us for the many ways that we've failed. But if my experience is any indication, we know that you don't give up on us. You keep working. You keep changing us. You keep enabling us to grow. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're on the south side of Atlanta on Sunday morning, I hope you'll feel free to come and worship with us at Hampton United Methodist Church. We are on West Main Street, right in downtown Hampton. We have two worship services every Sunday. We have a 9 o'clock acoustic contemporary and an 11 o'clock traditional.